entering the DGTC. Are you ready for a deep dive? And one get most of the crap. Can't believe I said that. I've been doing this since 2008. What the fuck do I know? Drawing hands is like kryptonite. Oh, no. <laughs> it's, it's uh, loading up elbow logos. Yeah, uh, welcome to the show. <laughs> Welcome to the DGDC, a united team of design professionals creatively bound to bring unique inspiration and uncommon perspectives. You can email us listener questions or topic ideas to hello at dgdcpod.com or check out our website, dgdcpod.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram or Twitter at dgdcpod. Plus now you can join in on the conversation. We have a Facebook group. Just pop onto our website and hit the community tab at the top. Now, on with the show. All right, guys, we are back for our third amazing <laughs> Adobe Max interview. Uh, and we are trying to get these out rapid fire because, man, we just loved all the content we got from uh, Aaron, from Annie. This week's episode is all from our buddy Dan Stiles. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if you caught it last time or when we were at Max McKell, but he, I did see his... Um, his Max uh, appearance a few years ago, and he typically runs through and does a really great case study of his work. He does work for like Tom Petty, McDonald's, Google, you name it. And he was showing incredible art, and it's really inspirational. But he took a little bit of a of a U turn on this one, and his his whole topic was called meme warfare. Uh, design in the age of disinformation. And in this episode, he's he's super frank about that, like mm-hmm. w- that it was sure. something that yeah. his partner and he and he discussed together for a long time coming before he just took the leap and decided I'm gonna I'm gonna give this a try. Yeah, having no idea what his massive following at that moment how it would resonate. It it is a gutsy move. I do it understand is. that, but. A lot of his messaging throughout this episode is so crucial to all of us to learn from and to be inspired by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would think it's just an important message. And this is where, like, when we talk about the risk factor, like, I think he's making a sort of conscious effort to sort of relay this information, to put it in our conscious, to be, like, aware of things that are happening. As designers, you know, part of our job is to really, like, contribute to this idea of, like, how do we make someone feel something, Right. And like, how do we sell a message, you know? And so I think we're a good group of people to sort of like, to sort of stand at the awareness factor and spread these messages of, you know, how yeah. design and propaganda relation to these like meme warfare that's happening currently. And it will make twice about making another freaking post. I know. <laughs> well, as long as, and it's just like yeah. becoming more aware and having the conversation is the first step into addressing it. And I think this conversation, this topic he's pushing, I mean, I'm all for it. Uh, I, I think I think he's really doing a good thing for the community and also just like at large for like culture and society, right? Yeah, you got to start yeah, somewhere. Yeah, it's beyond the creative realm. He's in that sense, yeah. he's really taken a subject matter that is extremely global. Yeah, mm-hmm. but niching it down to 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 the people that again, I think designers are just more aware of this stuff happening. I think we can identify this sort of stuff because we're sort of in this industry. So it it is cool how it kind of kind of tucks into this niche of mm-hmm. this design community and industry. It fits well despite it being a very global problem. Yeah. 
I, I have to say, I don't think I've ever been more like floored at a concept that we've had a great discussion like this on in any previous episode that I went, wow, I didn't even think of this. And it answered, and it answered every frustration I think I was having with social media over the last few months. And his idea here is he's telling you these, these things that we see on a daily basis, how they resonate and resemble the propaganda posters and things that have done in the past and, and how they're being used in a way that's misleading and sometimes the wrong information. And, you know, it doesn't sound like it's something we do in our everyday, but it can trickle to that. And and I think what you well, both say. Well, he argues that, that we're all that we're all contributing totally anytime. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That and and so in that regard, this isn't a fuzzy, warm, feel good episode in, in in that respect. You don't feel great about how our this social pandemic, so to speak. I mean, it yeah. is culturally disturbing. And his ti- the title for this is perfect: Meme Warfare: Design in the Age of Disinformation. Exactly, it's perfect. He does end it with a really great kind of call to action. There's no answer here, but it's more about. Like you just said, Jordan, we are the people kind of on this line that can make a change with this and be more responsible with what's put out there. Talk more of the truth, be less of that persuasion, and let's see what happens. So I I, I hope you guys really enjoy this, man. It was just the best eye-opener. And then follow it up and watch his actual uh, 20-minute presentation on the Adobe Max site that's still up live under that same name. We hope you enjoy it. This is our interview with Dan Stiles. Dan, welcome to our little well, podcast. Hello. Nice to virtually meet you all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same yeah. man. And you are like right down the street from Jordan, so that's like apparently you know, <laughs> we, we could have done this in my front yard or something. Just <laughs> exactly, six feet apart. just holler at each other down the block. It might be the first real podcast ever recorded social distancing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if anybody that's been doing that. We should try it. Let's give it a shot. One of these. Yeah, days. <laughs> totally. But we are uh, glad to have you on board with this thing, and um, I've had a chance to see you at Adobe Max once or twice, and um, and I've always enjoyed kind of what you have done in presenting your work and a lot of your principles and things like that. But uh, tell the audience a little bit about what you are tackling this time with your uh, with your talk. Well, uh, you know, this is something I mentioned to you when we had our, our preliminary talk. Is I, I believe I am kind of committing uh, Adobe Max speaker suicide um, <laughs> because in the past uh, I've sort of developed a um, kind of a routine that I've, I've learned that works really well for these kind of talks, which is that you—it's uh, something I figured out when I was on book tour. Uh, I was touring around the country with my book, and I was talking to all these these different groups of designers. And and what I realized is that you can go see any designer and have them sort of go through their their deck of greatest hits. You mm-hmm. know, like I made this, and ooh, I made this, and you know, look at me. You know, I work for Formula One or whatever. Um, and then you you kind of leave a presentation like that feeling bad. You know, you, you're inspired, but you also feel bad because you're like, oh, that person's better than me. You know, like. And so what what I started to do almost by accident was. You know, I will show something like, look at this thing I made for the Arctic Monkeys. Um, now let's go through the process of making that. And I'm going to show you how horrible that was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like, here are the eight or 12 sketches I made that were just crap. <laughs> and then here I took this one halfway to completion and it fell apart. And then, oh, and then I had a moment, you know, and this is what that moment was. And everything started to gel. And what I learned from that was, you know, hey, if you only have three colors, lay them on top of one another or whatever it is. Um, and, and it immediately made the work more accessible to people. You know, they could see it and they go, oh, you know, this guy isn't 
special. He's just like me. He, he designs stuff and it sucks. And then if you work at it hard enough, it gets better, you know? Like, <laughs> um, and, and I feel like that really resonated with people. And I've, I've done that talk in one form or another sort of for years now. I talk about style or I talk about where my ideas come from or, or how I run a small business. But it's always... Um, my old boss, Michael Cronin, used to call it lifting his skirts. You know, it was like, I'm not just going to show you the facade, but I'm going to, you know, uh, I'm going to really show you what's going on. And I'm not doing that this year. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm taking a big risk in that. Uh, this year, instead of getting up in front of a group and talking about, you know, my work and presenting it as, as you know, here's what you can learn from, from my mistakes, um, I'm kind of taking a look at, at all of us and our world situation and saying, you know, what can we do as designers um, to maybe help save the sinking ship? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think a lot of people are coming to this point right now after 170,000 people dead, uh, you know, economy with 30% unemployment. Yeah. We're all kind of sitting in our houses going like, oh, you know, yeah. like shit got real, yeah. mm-hmm. what can I do? Uh, and so <laughs> what I'm talking about this year is is meme warfare, which is, that's a real term. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the idea that, yeah, believe it or not, I meme warfare to, like, is a real thing. Uh, you know, <laughs> NATO has actually done research papers on this that I've, yeah. I've read. Wow. Um, but meme warfare is essentially looking at uh, memes as a form of propaganda. And and it's it's a pervasive form of propaganda. If you open your your Facebook or your Instagram or any of your feeds and look at the information you're being pummeled with, it's propaganda. It looks different. You know, it's mm-hmm. ugly. It's, it's, it's impact over some gross picture. But if you look <laughs> at the techniques, it's the exact same techniques that are used in those beautiful communist era posters from the, from the 50s. It's the same stuff. You know, Uncle Sam, I want you. Yeah, That's propaganda. Yeah. Um, and that is exactly what we are all being inundated with on a daily basis. And uh, you know, this this whole talk kind of started as a as just something I was trying to figure out. Months ago, I was like, why is America falling apart? Why is it that half of America won't talk to the other half of America? What's yeah. driving us apart? And I started just reading stuff because this is what mm-hmm. I do. I, I sort of give myself a subject, a syllabus, and I go and I research it. <laughs> um, and, and eventually what happened was I, I saw, and you maybe remember this, there's so many memes that, you know, maybe you didn't see this. But uh, at one point, Donald Trump shared a meme where he's pointing directly and it says something like, you know, they're not after me, they're after you. It's only me that's in the way. And I looked at that and I'm like, oh, my God, that is the I want you poster. It's the same the same pose, you yeah. know, everything. And I was like, oh, crap, it's the propaganda. And then I just went down this rat hole. And, and then when uh, Adobe Max contacted me and said, hey, we want you to present again this year, <laughs> I said, you know what? I've done the same presentation in one form or another for five years now. Like, I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to do something Good. completely different. And I'm going to tackle a much larger subject than let's just talk about me. Uh, and so that's that's what I'm doing this year. It's um, Do they have to... Do you have to... Um, preface what you want to overview to mm-hmm. obtain a green light from them ahead of time. How does that process work? I mean, yeah, I, I pitched it. You pitch, you pitched it, mm-hmm. and you have some conservatives on that end, some liberals on that end that are going, eh, "This is you, this is educational, nonetheless. Let's give it a whirl." Yeah, essentially, what happened was I, I pitched it and I said, "Look, you know, I, I gave them two options. I'm like, I, I gave them. I don't remember what the other one was. The, the first one was, yeah, I can do my song and dance again. Uh, we know that works. People like it." Um, or I can do this, which is something I'm, I'm really interested in, and I think it's it's more valuable. 
Uh, and, and they said, look, in the past, we have definitely shied away from politics. We have tried not to bring the political into our design conference, uh, but we feel like this is a valid subject. And it's, I'm not going to say it's apolitical, but the way I try to approach it is simply both sides are making this stuff. You know, your feed is full of this regardless of what political view you have. Mm. Um, and we're all being pummeled with this information. And, That's and the reality. And here is how it works. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I, I take it apart and I say, you know, well, what is propaganda? What are the techniques of propaganda? Why does it even work? You know, why when you see something a certain way, does your brain tingle and you go, yes? Yeah. You know, and that's, it's it's actually leveraging basically uh, sort of holes in our peripheral vision that, that allows this stuff to seep into our oh, brains. Dan, how affirming. Um, does this feel just amazing <laughs> that you don't have to do the same song and dance like you had mentioned and you get to stretch it a little bit with something you are passionate about? Yeah. I, I hope it works. Uh, it's, well, when I talked to Nick, he was the first person uh, outside of my wife and uh, and Terry at Adobe Max who had really heard my pitch. Yeah. Um, and and he was like, "Oh yeah, that sounds really good." I'm like, "Oh, whew. you know, like well, wipe the sweat off your brow." You, you know what made me think that Dan was the fact that in all the conversations with uh, Max right now, what's very interesting is the fact that it is a whole other audience. We are it's a younger audience that will be participating because of the fact that it's free and it's online. So mm -hmm. you have the perfect opportunity, I think, to talk to them in that situation. Well, that was another thing that really sealed it for me early on was that when they canceled the live Max, which was months and months ago, I mean, we knew in, you know, probably March that really this wasn't going to happen. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and they said, look, you know, you're going to be doing this online. I said, well, I'm not going to do just me standing in, in my house you know, in front of a Zoom screen, like doing a doing a TED talk for an hour and a half, <laughs> yeah. right? Like that's nobody's going to watch that. You know, so I'm going to do an explainer video. Like if you go to Vox or any online source, and you're like, "How does a car transmission work?" and there's going to be some cool video where, after eight minutes of watching it, you kind of understand the fundamentals of a transmission, um, or whatever the subject is. I'm going to try to do that with this subject. Mm. Uh, and then what happened was they threw me another curveball, and they said, "Yeah, you don't have an hour and fifteen minutes." You've got 25 minutes. So they cut my time by two-thirds, and it, it scared me at first, but I actually have put it together. It's better. It made it better. It's cool. now condensed. You can mm. watch it. You can understand it. You can get a, you know, a high-level understanding of what I'm talking about. Yeah, you're not going to have a, you know, a master's degree in this by the time you watch it, but I think it's going to open a lot of eyes, hopefully, to uh, kind of a complete picture because we've all heard, you know, like you can't open, again, you can't open Facebook without seeing a... a something about like cognitive dissonance or, or all these different terms people toss around, but nobody's ever tried to kind of sum it all up. Mm -hmm. you know? So that's what I'm trying to do is like, let's take the whole landscape and squish it all together. And, and you know, uh, this is how the entire system is failing. Why? Us. Why yeah. has nobody? D um, d I don't know. <laughs> I, although I have to say, just listening to you speak, I'm, I'm being reminded of a segment fairly recently on NPR that I listened to, which was smack dad in the, in the middle of the afternoon, which isn't that prime time hour. And maybe that for, for that reason, it was a little bit more forgivable with listeners, but it was about um, Russian tankering and the social media and how they have control over everything. And it's just shocking how many people trust these so-called secure channels. I mean, it's not, it's the opposite. That's exactly it. And that's, I guess what I'm trying to summarize is that you know, because I think we've heard we've heard a lot about the Russians. Okay, put that in one, you know, bucket. Put that in one bin. <laughs> you know, and we we hear a lot about social media. Okay, put that in another bin. You know, we hear a lot about disinformation. Well, that's a third bin. You know, but it's really difficult to to line all those bins up. 
which is what I'm trying to do. I sort of create five silos and then I say, okay, here's how all these silos are pointed at you. And, and here's how you respond, even though you don't know it. Like every time you're like, ha, oh, that's funny, hit share, you are taking part. In, in a disinformation oh, campaign. Totally. And it may not be Russian disinformation. It may just be some troll in their basement who made a funny meme about Trump. But every time mm-hmm. you're sharing this stuff, you are actually literally uploading propaganda. Uh, and, and so we're, we're all in this together. Yeah. And it seems to me like that's the most contributing factor in a meme anyway, right? It's like, it's, it's sort of, it, it, you need to spread it in order for it to like work. It's, it's us as the public spreading this stuff. Mm-hmm. So well, easily. That's, that's one so of the easily. primary differences is if you look at our, our previous media environment before uh, the internet and, and even before cable news, you know, like you turn on the six o'clock news, everybody in America watches the same, watches Walter Cronkite every night. Yeah. And they say, hey, look, you know, this thing happened. And everybody goes, hmm, okay, well, thank you for that information. Now, if tomorrow there's more developments on that thing, Walter's going to come back on. He's going to tell you some more developments. Everybody's hearing the same <laughs> news about the Vietnam War, Watergate, whatever it is, right? Um, and it's a one-way system. The, yeah. the, the, you know, the media would go, they find facts, they verify facts, they do interviews, and then they report at six. Um, now, we, we sure, that, that system kind of still exists. You can, Walter Cronkite's out there somewhere. Um, but most of us go to social media, which has, it's a two-way system, and it's unfiltered. Nobody's mm-hmm. verifying anything on social media. And when that disinformation hits you, you can, with a click of a button, re-upload it. Right. And so yeah. it's this it's this loop, this endless loop of disinformation that, that anybody can pump garbage into. And then, you know, if it takes off, it takes off. And suddenly the whole world has seen, you know, whatever this trash is. And, and that seems to be maybe one of the most damaging parts. Right. It's like it, it, it's what you just said, where no one really owns it. You can disown a mean really quickly. So we can't really track the source with the credibility behind it. It's sort of embedded in this thing that was an internet joke which is now something different mm-hmm. which that joke is important the joke is a is a critical component of this because you can always go oh jk jk well you know? exactly or like i don't know where this yeah, came from totally you can be like, no that's it. not that's that's racist dude yeah you can't you can't just jk your way out of like posting that thing <laughs> it's so whatever best everybody does oh it's a yeah. joke you know you can't take a joke it's like no that's not a joke but I think yeah. it's just it's so easy to disown it because we don't know the source because it's 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 this anonymous thing that anyone can mm-hmm. create with any agenda and put it out there. And if you share it, well, okay, you just shared it, you didn't create it. But it's like, well, we don't know where it's coming from. The message is still there, right? Or it's mm-hmm. easy to just like, yeah, it's a joke. I think I think the problem really lies in like I just think the terminology is outdated. Like when most people say, "Oh, let's talk about a meme," like immediately in my head I'm like, "Yeah, that sort of cat that has affinity for cheeseburgers. Like, that's what we yes. think about yeah. mm-hmm. when reality yeah. <laughs> guy. And when we were having this conversation last night, I dug myself a well, just like, holy shit, like memes, they're not that anymore. They transition the reality. They're generated with way more intent. And oftentimes by often the government officials, like political campaigns, activists, whatever the agenda might be, it really is the modern day propaganda, a form of spreading yeah. immediate takeaways that, that really require public participation to spread and they succeed when they do. Yeah, you know, it's, it's do. very true. Well, the, the term meme uh, was created not in reference to the internet at all. Uh, the original notion of a meme was uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, an evolutionary biologist, created the idea of a meme in the 70s. Uh, and it really was, it was just uh, any information, any cultural information that travels virally from person to person, which was a, huh. a new idea at the time. It was like, hey, look, we're part of this tribe, we're part of this group, and I have learned how to create um, a stone axe. And I will tell everybody in my group how wow. to make a stone axe. And, and it spreads virally that way. Or, you know, I'm in a high school and I buy a cool red hat. Next week, 
suddenly all these other kids have got cool red hats, right? That's, <laughs> that's, that's mematic transfer of information. It's a viral transfer of information. Um, and it, now in the last 10 or 15 years, it's come to mean, you know, the, the viral transfer of humorous images over the internet. But mm-hmm. the, that information component is still there. Yeah. And I think we've kind of lost that, is that every time you see this, one of these things, and ingest it, you are ingesting a little chunk of information that's going to get lodged in your head, whether you want it to or not. Yeah. Totally. You can't forget it. And it, nope. I, I, it was visible the, the minute I logged on to social media this morning. Everywhere yeah. I looked, I was, I was almost thinking about it, knowing we were talking. And mm-hmm. it's, it is incredible. And I, I love you, what you said about the humor aspect of it. It's that... It's that scapegoat. It's that way out, and mm-hmm. and it makes it, it. It's it's really it's really too much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really, when it's like gosh. the perfect storm of like not only is it being effective, but I think it's so effective because we live. Man, I, NPR had this segment like uh, staggering research that reported like seventy percent of Americans turn to social media for their news, mm-hmm. and yeah. so like and that's where memes yeah. really thrive, yeah. right? And I just think like a major concern is that apart from the lack of having any source of credibility behind what we're reading, like we're sort of transitioning into this age of just headline news, meaning like we're not digging into anything beyond just like that meme headline or whatever the news article headline, like I admit reading I'm a newspaper a would just be consumer, but that's very dangerous because that's where you can really influence people's opinions. Oh, yeah. And then if you open, it, it's like, Oh, this body of copy has nothing to do with the headline whatsoever. So we don't really <laughs> know the repercussions of that. Yeah. It's, t- it's, it's twist. It's twisty. Um, Dan, would you mind sharing what your exposure is to social media, whether for research purposes? Well, it's it's interesting because I have I have a, a mixed relationship with uh, – <clears throat> I feel like anytime I look at Facebook, it ruins my day. Uh, <laughs> it does. It does. I go on in the morning, uh, and and sometimes I see something great, and it, 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 it helps my day. I'm like, oh, look at this wonderful thing or this piece of information I got. Like, oh – the, you know, Oregon rally groups having a rally in two weeks. I better get my car prepped. You know, great. Good piece of information. I can do something with that. But nine times out of ten, I see something horrible and it, and it, and it gets stuck in my brain pan. And there's only, a, I mean, you know, there's, there's only so much space you've got in your brain pan, right? And so if it gets filled up with this horrible information for the rest of the day, that's eating up 33% of, you know, my available brain space and my work will suffer. My attention span will suffer. Uh, I've noticed it. Like on days when I just don't go on and read the news, I don't go yeah. on social media, I don't go anything in the morning, I am so much more productive and my brain feels clean. Like it doesn't feel like I feel shattered after enough social media. But I'm addicted just like everyone else. Uh, and so I go on Facebook, I go on Instagram, and I, I, I see this stuff and it, 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 it fucks me up, you know? Yeah. Um, and I try not to, you know, I, I'm one of those people, I have a timer on my phone that boots me off after a certain amount of time and whatnot. But just like everyone else, you know, this stuff was made to be addictive. I mean, the people at Facebook know what they're doing. They keep us coming back for more uh, on purpose. I mean, the, the people who design Facebook, are the, they use the same kind of technology that they use to design slot machines, you know, to keep you coming oh, yeah. back, coming yeah. back, coming back. It's that dopamine, <sighs> hit, you know? Uh, and so we're all addicted to it. <laughs> that sigh. I know yeah. that's kind of where we're all. We're you're shedding, all there. You you're know? shedding quite a light. Uh-huh. And, and we all know this. It's like, but I'm so, dude, you, the fact that you're bringing this out, I, I think it's has to be talked about entirely so useful. much more. And you're right. This, uh, how, how many have we had? All of us, I'm sure, can say we had a day where you did, you, you successfully turned it off and you nailed it by saying you have a clearer day. I have a much more less stressful day with with valleys and peaks it's much more consistent yep and and you know if you're designing 
you know, on the, on the days, because I don't, I mean, all of us don't, we don't design all day, every day. We, people like to think that's what we do, but we don't. We have to do books or, you know, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. answer phone calls. But if you're designing on those days where your brain is clear, mm-hmm. like, it, I'm like, oh, this is how it used to feel, you know? It's like flow. this, in the when I used to do illustration in the 90s or whatever, and the internet didn't exist, I could just sit down with a set of headphones on and get into that flow state and just do shit. And I'm not worried about some 17-year-old kid gunning people down in a city in Wisconsin I've never heard of, Right. <sighs> Like, oh my, it, like that just destroys you mentally. And I'm not saying you shouldn't pay attention to the news, but True. back to the old days when you got your news at six o'clock, well, your day was pretty much done. Mm-hmm. You got your bad news. You had some dinner. You know, like yeah. it, everything was, yeah. was, you know, it wasn't just this barrage, the 24-hour news cycle. We um, yeah. are so done with putting the kids down and then catching up on the news before we turn in for the night. What a fucked up schedule that is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what are we thinking? Like parents, stop. Don't do that to yourself. And then you I mean, we're sleep deprived as it is, right? So then you're just even accentuating that. If you if yeah. it's just yeah. ridiculous. It's a, yeah. it's a toxic and, and you, environment. You go to bed with that in your mind. And mm-hmm. regardless you know? of the network, the choice of, you know, the it really doesn't matter. <laughs> news is news. Mm-hmm. One way or another. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> the, you know, you've got you made me think too that we do a impact kind of uh, project in my class with my students. And I'm already, I'm rethinking it right now because I, I feel just as guilty as anybody, um, as a designer, as someone who designs these things to pick the right font for it, make sure it's, you know, in their face, you know, it's those principles we've all learned and I'm sitting here doing the same thing. And, and that's why I'm glad we are talking. Cause we could change, we could shift this, we could change this. And I'm anxious to hear when we get to it about, you know, those, those things, what, what have you seen in design that was just so over the top, you know, w- when you saw all this stuff that w- it made you cringe a little bit too, when well, it came to the, like the, the amazing thing is, uh, you know, because we are all kind of extra- trained uh, to be concerned primarily with aesthetics. Let's let, let's face it, right? Like we oh, all talk yeah, about usability, sure. <laughs> you know, but really we want to make cool looking shit, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the reason I got into this because I thought skateboards looked cool. I thought album covers looked cool. I want to I want to make those myself, which is what my career largely has been is is making cool looking shit. I don't do user interface design or anything like that. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. I'm I'm really very concerned with aesthetics, but this what we're talking about now kind of dives at the level below that. It really talks about information, you know, because that's, you know, at the end of the day, what we're actually doing is taking some chunk of information, whatever that information is. There's a concert tomorrow night in this place at this time, and we're trying to make it appealing. Uh, And so I'm stripping away the aesthetic layer and kind of looking under the hood of, of, well, what is it that you're selling? And, And I think that's, the point we have to come to as designers is are we going to help or are we going to hinder? You know, can mm-hmm. we, can we use, you know, it's, it's at the end of every or halfway through every superhero movie, are you going to use your powers for good or bad? You know, but, yeah. but we do in fact have a, this, this war, if you want to call it that, this is this information battle is happening using our tools on mm. our turf, you know, like, like this is, <laughs> this is where we should shine. Right? Yes. Yeah. We know how to use the hell out of Photoshop. We know how to use the internet. You know, this is, we created this beast in a lot of ways, or at least our tools did. You know, what, what can we do to, to reshape this? But that gets back to what we're talking about maybe before we're recording is, you know, are you going to sell more Wendy's cheeseburgers or are you going to attempt to, you know, use your powers to do something else? Um, and the whole system is really, you know, graphic design was created to sell product. You know, yeah. I mean, we are, we are, we don't make art. Like, let's not kid ourselves. We, we, we help sell product. Persuasion. 
<laughs> yeah, but what is the product we're selling? Yeah, and the big like I art is I, I think traditional art's more open for interpretation. The goal is like, yes, I created something, but you can put anyone's interpretation into it and find something different. Kind of like music, mm-hmm. kind of like story. But where graphic design is very different, it's like, well, we have to find, we have to fix a problem. This is a solution, whether it's not, it's a direct message to the consumer to sway them and to feel a certain way to like buy something. Like graphic design has way more intention. It's way more direct. Uh, mm-hmm. Then I, I would say your traditional art form, and and, and that's a great point where propaganda is that same thing. It's using, like, you look at Russian propaganda or like Nazism propaganda. Like, it was so successful, and I think a lot of it had to do with like the design was really good. It was yeah. Oh, they were beautiful, which I is mean, something we're lacking now. The aesthetics are gone. I mean, most yeah. of the memes you see are just trash. But the persuasion techniques are are exactly the same. It's interesting though that like there are still parameters within the meme design. Like it's structured, right? Like they use that mm-hmm. font on every one. Like mm-hmm. it is interesting how like that falls into the category of, oh, this is its own category, and this is how it looks like, and everyone yep. adheres to this. Someone just decided this is what they are, and that's what they are now. <laughs> yeah, impact typeface top, impact typeface top and bottom. You know, those and are yellow, the, you know, yellow on dark background, right? Like yep. it's like, yeah, high know? contrast. I guess is key, right? And um, wasn't that wasn't that like made intentional to be like uh, so? There's meme builders, and and a non designer can now participate yes. and actually make one because you can go online and make one. Yeah, you can go to like mememaker.com yeah. or whatever it is, and they have the photo without the type on it, and they have a little, you know, wow. a little WYSIWYG interface where you can you can type in what you want, and two seconds later, boom. Yeah. You know, you've created propaganda. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you, too, could be a propaganda designer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's that easy. Yeah. That, I mean, graphic design is, again, propaganda. Like, we use tools. Like, if I want to sell something on the shelf, like, all right, I'm going to design this to be effective. I'm going to design it to, one, grab someone's attention, two, mm-hmm. tell them an immediate story. Whatever information I want to pass on, like, us as creative and designers have that, you know, skill set of, like, we can manipulate a consumer to act, to try to act a certain way within our, like, puppetry, right? That's yeah. sort of what design is. And I think it is interesting how, like, when you say how can creatives sort of step in and, and try to combat something like this well it's like well i think we're the first to recognize that sort of stuff like we know how sausage is made we know how and why like these sort of marketing tools and this propaganda like why they're effective and i don't think we'll fall snare to it as easily because us as creators and content creators like we're aware um and so like what is that sort of first step if we're the first yeah. to like i think address it or at least cognitively understand you know or maybe not just fall snare to like i'm gonna click on this or spread it Beyond that, like, what is the role? Because there are a lot of avenues us as designers can take other than being aware, right? And I'm curious, maybe if you have some thought of, like... Where to start? Yeah, maybe that first step into, like, beyond awareness. Like, what well, are some it's, active it's things? it's interesting, uh, again, because I went into this um, research, I guess you could call it, yeah. without a real good thesis as to what I was going to find. It was like, well, here's a problem. Let's go read a bunch of papers and, and watch a bunch of presentations and, and see if we can find a solution. And, and one of the issues that I, I came up with, and um, I wonder if I hope I can find the term. Um, there's something, and I forget what it is. It, it's something along the lines of the lasting effect of disinformation, right? Hmm. Um, which is uh, essentially once you have been um, exposed to misinformation, that information is lodged in your mind, if you believed it. Uh, and to get somebody to change their mind on that is nearly impossible. It is the mm-hmm. way the human mind is wired. And so the, that is why you argue at the Thanksgiving table with your, with your weird <laughs> uncle about you know, gun control or whatever it is, because they have this chunk of information in their head and they are not letting that go, right? 
uh, and they are they are willing to 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 fight you to the death over this. They aren't listening to you, and so arguing over the internet, like um, we've all tried that, oh. right? Go on Facebook. <laughs> oh no, dude! You're like here, let me let me give you some charts and graphs. Let me give you some real information yeah. about this thing that you obviously are misinformed about. They just yeah. throw it back in your let face. Let me link to they my echo chamber that. really quick. <laughs> and and so this wow. this whole notion that that we have where we can we're going to debate one another about this, we just need to throw out the window. Like that mm. is that is actually not a viable solution, which is we've all been trying for 10 years now is like, go online and, oh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to educate this person on this. Forget it, right? That's not happening. Um, Which is troublesome because that's kind of what we do as designers. We, we try to just show information like, well, here, let me present some beautiful charts and graphs and, and you will be swayed by this information. No, people don't care. Um, (laughs) It's also uh, what the democratic party tries to do. Usually they, they get up on stage and they say, look, uh, you know, the, the, the air is dirty. Here is our nine-point plan to de-dirty the air. Isn't that great? And then they're shocked that people don't want to hear it. Uh, and, and it's because that's just not how we're wired up. We, mm. we, once we have created a set of beliefs in our head, any beliefs that uh, run counter to that are literally seen as threatening. We're, we're, we're tribal animals, right? If the four of us were out in a field and we needed to survive, the fact that we got along is more important than empirical truth, right? Mm-hmm. So if we all believe in the flying spaghetti monster and that's our core belief, that's literally more important than whatever the truth is because we need to, you know, if, if every, any one of us falls out of the group, we're going to get eaten by lions. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. So it's, it's critically important that we are a, have that group cohesion. So in the modern world, what that group cohesion creates is us versus them. So if I present your group with like, hey, look, flying spaghetti monster is not real. What it really is is lava man. It's all about lava man. We're gonna have a, we're gonna have a religious war on our hands, and that, and that's what happens with everything. That is why everything in yeah. the American landscape is part of the culture war. Mm-hmm. What kind of car you drive? What kind of brand T-shirt you're wearing? Wearing what masks, kind of, you know, <clears throat> literally anything. Yeah, yeah. Every everything we do has now been dragged into the culture war because of this us versus them mentality. Yeah, and and trying to convince somebody otherwise simply doesn't work. And yeah. there's no compromise that no one wants to even come to the table, it seems like, because their belief is so strong based on what's been given to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so anything that runs counter that their, their beliefs creates what you know, psychologists call cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's literally painful for us to, to see a fact that runs counter to something that we believe in so strongly, a core belief, mm-hmm. um, that it causes us pain. And so what we usually do is just reject it outright. You know, like, oh, no, global warming's not real. Or we can somehow wrap it in our own beliefs, like, oh, well, global warming may be happening, but it's not us, you know? But what we should do, which is the hardest thing to do, is examine our beliefs. Go like, oh, you know, I have these, where did I get these beliefs from? Who told me that global warming wasn't real? Why do I believe this? Was it, you know, was it somebody at my church? Was it my parents? Was it my schooling? Like, um, but we all do it, you know? Like, we aren't immune to that. Like, if you, Mm -hmm. uh, every week or every day, really, because I'm addicted to the news, I read the Washington Post. And the Washington Post is a mid-to-left-leaning mainstream media news source. They have one guy that they keep as a columnist. His name is Mark Thiessen, and he's their house conservative. And I try to read his articles. I try. I try. And I get two paragraphs in, and my head is exploding, and I'm just full of rage. And I'm like, (laughs) screw you, dude. And I've never finished one of his articles. I can't do it. And that doesn't mean I'm right. I could be wrong. He could have perfectly valid points, but the cognitive dissonance is so painful that I can't 
finish a short article by this man. And he's not even far right. He's He's enough he's the of guy a centrist, yeah. <laughs> right, that they'll actually publish him in the Washington Post. You know, it. so we are, none of us are immune. We all carry these things biologically. And that is the reason we can't talk to one another about any of this stuff, right, which is a huge problem. Um, and I don't know if we're getting to the point where we're talking about solutions yet, but the yeah. only thing I've come to, like, I've, because I've, I'm like, well, I'm doing this whole big thing. And, and like I said, like, it sucks when you watch a documentary about how the, the whales are dying or whatever. And then at the end, they're like, all right, the end. And you're like, well, wait a minute. What, what can we do? How, how do we fix this? Right. Um, so I was like, I can't end this presentation was like, oh, yeah. And then the Titanic sank. Yeah. You know? Fades I, I off need... onto a polar bear. Just like <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. There There's the emaciated That's... polar bear sitting on a little bit of a little bit of like floating ice. Um, I was like, I need to find a solution, not only for me, but for the audience. Like, we need to find something we can grab onto. And and what I found was something called inoculation theory, which is a, a theory from the 60s. Uh, and it's been proven to work. And the idea is that if information is viral, if information is a virus, right? You see a meme, it gets into your system, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it behaves just like a virus, which is sort of apropos to our times, isn't it? Yeah. Um, that you can inoculate against it. It's, it's a proven like scientific fact that you can, in fact, inoculate somebody against misinformation. And it, it's a pretty simple process. You say, hey, look, such and such event has happened, uh, and somebody is going to try to spin it, right? So they mm-hmm. are going to present some kind of disinformation campaign, uh, and this is what it's probably going to look like. And all you need to do is tell people that. And, and the results are staggering. Something like, really? like it's like a 25% improvement in, in uh, their ability to detect, you know, their, their bullshit detector essentially goes up by, by 25%. And, and oddly enough, the people who are most susceptible to disinformation uh, actually have a higher degree of response to being inoculated. They, they, they have a, a much better response. Uh, they can basically recognize fake news once you tell them what fake news looks like if you don't do it with one of their like core beliefs. If you just start with something like, uh, you know, an example might be, okay, so the government finds out that smoking is horrible. It's just like, you're going you're gonna to light this tar stick on fire and inhale it into your lungs. And guys, that's a bad idea. We have tons of evidence that this isn't working. And they, the government's known that since the 60s. So uh, what happened was the um, cigarette companies decided to mount a disinformation campaign. And what they did was they they dressed up a bunch of actors in white lab coats with that little reflective mirror thing on their head. And they took, and they took photos of them with cigarettes. And they said, you know, uh, doctors say that uh, Marlboro cigarettes are smoother. You know, they never said they're healthy, right? But what they do is they show a guy in a lab coat smoking saying this is smooth or whatever. And it, it creates a, a certain amount of confusion around well, you know, that's a doctor. He's smoking. You know, like maybe this isn't as bad as they said it was. And and that's a disinformation campaign. Wow. Right? And if you were to tell people like, look, you know, the cigarette companies are going to come out with some ads next week and it's going to have a doctor and don't believe them, right? That that's they're just they're just using this guy in a lab coat to to lie to you. People will respond to that. It's mm. it's it's a, it's a proven thing that they'll go, "Oh, they can recognize that for for the BS that it is." You, yeah. you can inoculate against disinformation. And I think that's where we as, you know, I mean, there are people who are in our field with design with cards that say information architect on their damn card, right? If we're designers, if we're information architects, you know, we can help. 
you know, this is something we can do this. Like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I need to warn people uh, that, that, you know, I can make a great information graphic. I can make a great commercial. I can make all kinds of things that say, here's the thing. Here's what they're going to try to do. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yeah, well, sign me up. Now, I don't exactly know what the next step beyond that is. You know, uh, you know there must, there, the Lincoln Project might be a kind of an example, even though they're, you know. But they're running sort of counter ads. Now, I'm not mm-hmm. saying their ads are informational. They're, they're actually running counter propaganda is what they're doing. Um, but if you were to sort of take that, that idea of pushing, like I'm going to go on, uh, I'm going to buy a 30-second news spot, and I'm going to say, you know, here's, here's the truth and here's what's coming. You know, it, people will respond. Does it have to strike first? Is that what you said, Dan? It has to be before? Yes. Okay. You, you, you have to tell them the disinformation campaign is coming. Yeah. Well, that's like uh, a if they're already in there, if they're already exposed to it, their beliefs have already been made up. Yeah. Uh, and, and so you need and, – and I'm not saying this is like the silver bullet. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there is a silver bullet, but it's the sure. only thing I found in, in all my, my uh, reading that appeared to be working and, and appears to be something we could roll out today. And it's something we, as people who are real good with Illustrator and Photoshop and cameras and video editing and all of that, like, like we're a ready-made army to, to roll this out. Yeah. Yeah. It's in, especially when we're talking about inoculation, like you look at lawyers opening statement, why it's such a heavy practice, right? In law where it's like, all right, the defense is going to have you believe blah, blah, blah. They're going to show mm-hmm. you these things and try mm-hmm. to sway your opinion. And that is such an effective solution because when it actually happens in your back of your head, you have that like, mm-hmm. oh, yes. this is them doing what I have what I was told they were going to do. You know what I mean? Like, it's actually the prophecy is coming true. It's easily to like, it's easier to sort of digest and, and, and fall into that. And I think that's a great, a great point and a great first step of like, yeah. That's a better example than my cigarette one. Actually, I'm going to use that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's exactly what the lawyers do, at least on TV. You're right. You know, exactly. Uh, you know, yeah. I, all my information comes from TV. But like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it, but you know, I, I think using our skills as design, uh, uh, we are very good at, at creating sort of visual translating information. Like we can create stuff that's way more digestible and I think shareable and engaging than maybe somewhere else. Like if, you know, the government was going to put out like a government website versus someone who, you know, does web design, like Mm -hmm. it's night and day. So I think that is where our school skill set really comes into play is, you know, creating these sort of like, uh, fighting fire with fire, like creating things that we with an agenda or like just like any propaganda, but with a better message of like addressing and creating awareness versus, you know, manipulating intent uh i like it i mean i think that's a yeah it's just such a deep well of like you know because then you know in my head i'm like other combatants is is at a point where like government gets you know brought into the fold more right like i think the internet it's not as wild west as what 10 years ago but it's still pretty open-ended i mean like Mm -hmm. you can manipulate it to your favor and stay anonymous and kind of do anything you want to an extent right if you have sort of that skill set I guess, like, you know, at which point, like, is it good to, like, try to get our elected officials in and try to regulate stuff more, which mm-hmm. I get is a very unpopular opinion all the time. But you're right. You know, that's another avenue, like, you have to start thinking and, and, and just redefining what things are. Like, again, I think just calling it a meme, I get that where, you know, the origin, like, the origin came from, but it's lumped into stuff that is fun and cute. And it's this, like, dark thing that is sort of this cancer that, is kind of just in the shadows that you don't think about. Like, I didn't think about it until, Dan, you brought this class up when I was doing some research last night, and I was like, fuck, this is, 
this is what memes are now. They're not what we used. It's not just something mm-hmm. we see on Reddit anymore. Yeah. Which is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, this is how history unfolds. You know, it, yeah. it, it moves forward. And, and so, you know, we are now at an inflection point where I, we could start to do something because 10 years ago, this problem didn't exist. And so, you know, somebody's got to raise a flag and say, oh, well, hey, guys, we went off the rails here. <laughs> you yeah. know, maybe we can address this now. <laughs> uh, and I, I think we, the 2016 election was probably the first turning point for a lot of people when they realized, like, holy crap, social media is a game changer. Uh, it's more powerful than traditional media now. Because, you know, for instance, uh, the, the, Nixon, the famous Nixon debate, the first televised uh, t- presidential debate, Nixon got on there uh, without makeup and, and he was all sweaty and gross and like he looked terrible, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? And, and it, it cost him dearly uh, because he just looked like this monster. Uh, and um, so they, they figured out very quickly, like, oh, well, we need to, we need to, presidential debates that are televised well we need to script these things and we need to prepare our, our guys and we need to we need to get them in makeup and whatever and 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 so we are now at a new point where there's this new technology uh, totally. and somebody needs to be like oh hey remember the 2016 election when memes like threw the whole thing off the rails like we should probably address this yeah and and this is probably the first i think a lot of young designers young people probably even hearing this this kind of topic even discussed what what is it what advice do you have like what can a young designer do in this in this kind of day and age to kind of combat this like you said i love where you said we're going to either help or we're going to hinder you know yeah and and i wish i had a better solution i mean the yeah. first probably the first thing to do is just be aware of it which yep. is a large exactly. part of this whole presentation yeah. is I, I think i probably spend two thirds so of it just being like hey let me let me lay bare the the landscape because mm-hmm. nobody's addressed this, yeah. you know, and then the last yeah. little chunk is like, well, what can we do about it? And a lot, a lot of it is sort of a shrug, like eh, inoculate, you know, mm-hmm. um, because I don't have all the solutions. I wish I did. Oh my God, this would be the best presentation on earth. If I could just be like, boom, pull out your phone right now. <laughs> and just two seconds later, oh, mm-hmm. problem solved, yeah. you know, like, um, <laughs> make yeah. an app for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, let- well, what, what will you offer as a step? In the right direction. Well, I, I do think this inoculation thing yeah. is it, but I don't know what form that takes because something designers love to do is, uh, oh, a catastrophe happened? Let's make posters. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Stop it. You know what I mean? Stop, yeah. Like, like <laughs> there was stop. a flood in Sri Lanka and all these people died. Let's make Sri Lanka posters. No. Nobody. Fuck you. You know what I mean? Like, we don't want your ultra beautiful, like, rendition of a drowning Sri Lankan. Like, that is not going to help anything. Stop it. You well, know? especially a lot of it is like, look at me during this crisis. Look what right, I did. Totally. Like, it doesn't matter about this, yeah. like, tragic oh event. It's like, look at but me. I'm shaking my this. head because I need to admit this to you guys. I had this, I saw this uh, Fauci for president t-shirt and I, like, sent it to everybody in the family. <laughs> I thought it was awesome. I contributed. God damn it. Yeah. Like this is going this is going to have a ton of your audience members shaking their heads similarly, um, thinking about examples or mm-hmm. scenarios mm-hmm. from which yeah. they participated. And it's a bit of a bummer, but that's a good <laughs> that's a good thing. That's that's a good thing. That's part of being aware. Yeah. yeah. Look memes this is a, a small sliver of a, a much deeper pool of problems that we have like you know combating it's going to require combating like really how culture works in this country and how we digest social media and how we are just processing things at a very rapid rate like it it, it goes well beyond oh, i mean God. you're talking about like a great divide that we have in this in this country 
uh, this is just a tool that's worsening it. So like when you try to address the symptoms, like, well, then you realize like, shit, it's spread to the, you know, every lymph node in this goddamn country. How do you address that? And I think you're right. The first step is really like we have to make people aware, but in a better way. Like when you say make someone aware, that often means like, okay, go and research and figure it out. But the problem is like you can get pulled into any sort of place, right? If you have a belief, someplace on the internet is going to be like, yes, join this, you know, join Mm -hmm. this chamber. We all share that. It's safe here. But when you start to talk about like, you know, inoculation and like, that's a good defense. That there, there's the call to action, at least to start for raising awareness. Like, how do you raise awareness? Like this. Step one. That and that's where we are. I'm not convinced there's any way to solve that problem other than shifting culture, which takes oftentimes generations. But this is the good first step. I mean, I think we have a younger generation that is less susceptible to this kind of stuff for them, mm-hmm. maybe in the most part. Obviously, that's not blanket, but I just mean like they're more aware. They understand how the internet works. They understand manipulation because they're constantly bombarded, right? They grew up with this shit. Yeah. So like I have a little optimism in that sense, but I do like the idea like the first step is awareness and the first action of awareness is this inoculation like yeah. process, which makes sense. Yeah, I, and, and that's I mean, all I have to offer. I mean, I, I'm like, oh, crap. Like, <laughs> But there, that, that, that has that, a takeaway, you know? And that like, was difficult to find. You know? yeah. I mean, even that little sliver it was, was, you know, I really had to turn oh, over that. a lot of stones just to be like, it, what can, is there anything we can do? Um, yeah. And so I would hope that young designers maybe going into this um, would <sighs> – would just sort of examine their trajectory. You know, mm. like mm-hmm. you are going into this, you're going to have a fairly long time doing this. You know, what are you going to be doing with with your career that may help or hinder, you know, what are you going to do with these tools uh, in the long run? You know, are you, are you selling cheeseburgers or are you going to, are you going to try to yeah. do something else? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, I, I uh, an interesting story, uh, about myself when I was a young designer, um, and I don't know if this is going to help sell what I'm saying here. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, in design school in, in San Francisco, and um, I was in a, a class with uh, Terry Irwin, who was uh, the she's over at Cooper Union right now, but she was the she's a dean over there. But she she was teaching a typography class, and at the time she was running Eric Speakerman's uh, meta design firm in San Francisco. And they brought the Fuse Conference, which was a, a big typography conference at the time. Ever just all about type, and and it was a it was a set of all the luminaries of the age. You know, David Carson was there, Neville Brody was there, um, and I was I got chosen to be like an usher or something, right? And so I I showed up, didn't really do much, honestly, uh, and I was sitting in the audience for Neville Brody, and I was really excited for this because Neville Brody at that point in time was like a bad boy of design. You know, you don't hear his name <laughs> as much anymore, but at that at that point, he was the guy who was working with the cool bands, and he was crumpling up his type and making it shitty and illegible, yeah. and ooh, Punk isn't that designer, yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, it was all a bunch of guys who made shitty type. Basically, was like, you know, here, look, I'm going to do a keyboard smash and smear it on the screen, and. Um, <laughs> uh, and that was revolutionary because digital design was new. And so this mm. whole idea of not making it look like paper design was like, it blew people's minds. So I'm sitting down for Neville Brody and he gets up and he starts talking about our responsibility as designers. He, you know, a lot of the things I'm saying now, you know, you know, we need to make the world a better place and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there and by the end of his, conf- by the end of his talk, I am pissed. I am so pissed. I am like, fuck you, man. I got into this to make skateboards. You know, like you, you don't, you don't get to get up there after working with the Rolling Stones and, and Ray Gun Magazine or wherever else and making all this awesome shit and then tell me to go work for, you know, like Greenpeace. Screw you, dude. 
I was mad. Um, and so I would get that if a young designer was looking at my portfolio and being like, dude, you know, you have a, you have a 30 year history of making stuff for rock bands. Why are you telling me this now? So I, I guess what I'm trying to say to younger people is not, please go make cool shit. Please go make yeah. cool shit, you know, but is there some way in that cool shit to further us as a human race to, to, mm-hmm. you know, to, I don't know. Can you help some way? Yeah. I, I, you know, it's a, it's, I don't have a good summary. I don't well, have, why a, not, you, know, a, you know, I was going to say too, is challenge who you're working with and who you, what other teams you work with, because the, even like advertising can be thrown into this mix on what propaganda and what misinformation and whatever, and misleading things, you know, you know, particularly like healthy things and things that are, uh, you know, trying to make all these claims on how, how good this is. They're, they're spinning it. The same well, way. Yeah, no, it's actually one of the things right? I, I, I discovered, um, and people say this all the time, like, oh, advertising is just propaganda. Um, it is. The, the techniques, The mm-hmm. propaganda is a list of roughly 100 persuasion techniques. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and there, there are all these different techniques, and they are exactly the same. The only difference is that Advertising tries to change what you buy. Propaganda tries to change what you think. Mm. Although the wall between those two is coming down because mm-hmm. if you look at just sure. do it or think different or whatever, they're trying to change what you buy and what you think. Mm-hmm. But yeah. roughly speaking- you have like a lifestyle campaign, like well, yeah. that's no longer a product. That's like, I want to change how you live. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so the wall between the two is coming down, but, but it, the set of techniques, the persuasion techniques are the same set of techniques mm-hmm. that just use these blind spots in the human psyche, uh, yeah. to, to, to persuade us to do things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, you are in the propaganda business if you're in this business at all. Uh, and so, yeah, maybe looking at, you know, what you're selling and who you're selling it to, uh, yeah. is, is a pretty reasonable place to start. I like that you said that earlier about like, look at, look under the hood and look at exactly what you are selling and and come up with a stronger, more real, less manipulated message or thought or persuasion that's truly based on the benefits of something. Maybe not so much um, trying to cover up for something. You know, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I don't like in my personal career. I spent the first few years of my career uh, selling things that were terrible: kids' meal toys, sugary cereals. I did all the design and stuff for that. And here we were trying to manipulate parents and kids whatever to love something that was just crap right mm-hmm. and you covered up everything and now i get to kind of like rebuttal that and be different with working with healthier foods and healthier things but then in lies a, a whole other level of you know are, are the claims they're making real and i challenge a lot of my clients with that stuff too like maybe that's not an ethical thing to say right so we get to be i love that designers are more at the table than ever before you know particularly in advertising, particularly in creative thinking. Um, and I, and I think we can stand up a little bit more for those things in any capacity, uh, not just yeah. political and not I, I just that's, social. I think that's very true. Uh, I mean, I created my career, um, very purposefully, uh, mm-hmm. partially accidentally, but also very purposefully, just sort of <laughs> based on a, on a, a set of sort of tenants in my mind of, of who I wanted to work with and what I wanted to make. And that's why I do so much stuff in the entertainment industry and things like that, because I, I feel good at the end of the day. Sure. You know, when I've made something really cool for a band that I think is really cool, okay, I can't feel bad about that. Exactly. Right? You know, it's a like, feel-good thing, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and so I, 
you know, that's the reason I work for myself. It's the reason I, I have the clients that I have. And it's, you know, it's been a, it's been an arduous process. You know, it's pretty difficult to, I mean, a lot of people contact me now that we have, you know, email, I get these, these, you know, 18, 20 year old kids are like, Hey, I, I want to work with the Arctic monkeys. How do I do that? And I'm like, uh, well, start a design career and maybe in 20 years they'll call you. I, I don't know. You know, there isn't any turnkey solution to this, but if you have a set of principles and you use those principles to guide your career, you will probably wind up in the right place. I love that. That's a great way to look at it. Maybe that's just fantastic advice too, in a lot of ways. I didn't think that in those first few years, because again, maybe it wasn't, it was, it was more of the go after the dollar, you know, yeah. do, do what everyone's told you to do, right? <laughs> Climb the ladder, all that stuff. And I, I don't think principles like that even came into my mind until years later. But there is a there is a different like I agree and I think further along in your career like I kind of fall into that too where I choose my projects based on my mm-hmm. personal ethics so like you know but what does it mean to be an ethical designer could be again that's a very deep well it could be a totally different it subject could, but it, yeah. yeah I do know young designers like shit man it's a hard gig especially when you're freelancing like I don't know if I feel comfortable saying like yeah don't take no, them because we don't they don't have fall. that history but, when you start out you don't have you can't you can't have that luxury necessarily but if we can sort of start to embed people as a whole to sort of consider that or if we're like we really put spotlight on like designers who are choosing ethically or like how they their own mm-hmm. process maybe young designers like start asking questions instead of what do you charge for a client like how do you find these clients you want to work with or like how are you being like how are you practicing being this ethical designer what are some yeah. good tips and tricks that way like if we can start to shift that conversation, that could also move the needle a little bit, right? Like, again, first tip is raising awareness. You kind of have to, you know, diagnose before you prescribe. So, yeah. And we're in that stage of like, again, this this mean warfare, like this is something I think like is not addressed whatsoever or at the forefront of anything. And it should be. And so step one is let's bring it to the forefront. Like, let's start having these conversations more as an industry, as a community, because yeah. then you start to move the needle collectively. We can't do it. No one can just influence everyone by themselves. We all have to sort of get on board. And I think the only way to do that is kind of bring that conversation more to the forefront often. I agree. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. And, and I agree with, with, you know, this this idea that when you're starting out, you know, goddamn, just take the gig. Like, you got you to pay your rent, right? <laughs> yeah, man. Um, more than, yeah, more than ever right now. have that in common. And there's no rip on that still. I, I mean, mm-hmm. especially having had experience with that and being able to relate directly um, but of course you wouldn't, I mean, American spirits was a proposal that I really pushed when I was starting out in 2008. I wanted that gig so bad mm-hmm. and I wouldn't even turn to that right now. Mm-hmm. But that's, we, you grow, that's life. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can apply that and to anything, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think for the long career, like you just have that adaptability, like you have the, you have more, you know, I think of a baseline to choose, you know, if you're privileged enough to be able to do that or, you know, you're further along. But I do think, again, like I, I, I'm not going to shame anyone for taking a client, you know, especially young, especially young designers. But Mm -hmm. I do like the idea of like, as a collective, you know, having the conversation of design ethics and embedding that into the younger designers more like because again you can get good clients that still have a decent budget that can still work the younger designers that aren't you know a cigarette company or that aren't you know children's fast food toys or whatever that might be that that you know sort of goes against your core beliefs Mm -hmm. i think like it's just shifting the conversation again into like just focusing on that a little more 
just just and you have to have sort of blur yeah, into something's got to open your eyes to it too and you gotta because yeah, it's just not being talked about like no one talks about like the ethics of design really yeah, at least in like the community yeah. other than like maybe these sort of conversations but i think these are sort of the 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 sort of kindling into that that big yeah. fire I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You've blown us away with this, man. Now we're going to be, I'm going to be yeah, thinking about it all day. How that addresses uh, information dis- or disinformation is still a, a tricky, you know, cause this isn't, this isn't paid work. No, none of this is paid. You know, that's point. the crazy thing is like, nobody's yeah. going to like knock on your door and be like, Hey, guess what? So uh, we're going to be, pr- you know, promoting this campaign <laughs> that says, you know, uh, Hillary Clinton, like, you know, eats baby sharks or whatever. And, um, you know, we need you to come up with like 25, 30 different <laughs> concepts and, uh, you know, like here's the brief and we'll pay you $2,500. Uh, you know, like that's, that's just not, I mean, and actually in Russia, I think there are places that are doing that. There are troll 100%. farms that, that yeah. are, you know, employed doing this. Uh, but in, you know, nobody on 4chan is getting, pl- getting paid. Um, so it's, it's more like, uh, I think what you said, like shifting the belief patterns of an entire culture. And at least luckily, again, like you said, young people are way more aware of this because this is the environment they grew up in. Uh, you know, the, the people who are most susceptible to this type of disinformation are, in fact, uh, you know, older uh, yeah. or less educated, um, just less savvy uh, to the ways of the Internet, generally speaking. And so when a picture comes up or a headline comes up, they don't even look at the, the thing that says, like, realleftnewstruth.com, you know, like all of us would be like, uh, really? Yeah, <laughs> they're just like, that's a good point. <laughs> You know, the, the the Hillary Clinton shark ring is is just a believable thing because it, it it slots into what they already believe about her. Yeah, <laughs> there's a pizzagate.com, so therefore it has to be real. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> they have a dot com. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Any uh, how do you want to? Any final words on this one, Dan? Like, what's your what's your hope with all this? If we can make some changes, what do you what do you see on the horizon? I think. Unfortunately, with the current environment, a lot of this is going to come down to individuals making changes. And that kind of terrifies me because a lot mm-hmm. of individuals do not want to make changes. They are, mm-hmm. they are, you know, there are sort of two types of people in this world. Uh, there are people who are sort of happy with making changes and being a little bit uncomfortable. Those are people who are willing to go to a foreign country where they don't speak the language and just sort of get off the train and be like, woohoo, yes. you know. Um, and then there are people who just don't like that. And that's okay, too. Uh, they would prefer to go golfing someplace they've gone 20 times before. That's their idea of a vacation. Um, and, and our country is sort of split along those lines. And so I don't know how we start a conversation with people who kind of don't want to have this conversation. But I, I do believe that um, maybe like the anti-smoking thing, we could eventually somehow even get people who are smokers to kind of examine, well, hey, this is a little bit not good, you know. Mm. Could, could we at least come to the table and have that conversation? Um, and, and that's what it's going to fall down to. I think at least originally it's, it's going to be individuals. It would be nice if uh, the people who were, had a part in spreading this disinformation, which is largely the social media companies, were able to do something. Yes. I don't know what that is. Uh, they can't write an algorithm that will strain this stuff fast enough. You know, this is just, this is just being pumped out. Uh, so the algorithm is not really going to help. Uh, and also the fact that they make a ton of money on this. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the, in a lot of ways, you know, it, it's like asking a cigarette company to stop smelling cigarettes. Yeah. You know, talk about like, a drive. You know, BP oil is always talking about how they're going beyond petroleum. No, they, no, you aren't. <laughs> you know, petroleum is literally in your name. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, I, I think the, the first change would be individual. The second change yeah. hopefully would be on a more systemic level. 
um, yeah. where we, we start to look at like, well, here's the, here's the system we've created that allows this to be so persistent. Um, and then eventually, hopefully we can look back because now we look back at that stuff from the fifties and we kind of laugh. We're like, ah, oh, look at that. You know, you hang it on your, your shepherd fairies made a career out of making fake propaganda that mm. looks like, you know, stuff from the forties, fifties, uh, because it, it's, it's so funny now. It's sort of like, oh, that's cool. That's a cool aesthetic. Yeah. Um, but we all recognize it for what it is. It's, it's ham-fisted propaganda. Um, so maybe in 30 years, we'll, we'll look back at the stuff now and be like, oh, my God, I can't believe people used to fall for that. <laughs> well, I think, Dan, you're a pretty good model when you say, like, it starts with the individual. I think you're a great model in this where, you know, I think it's going to take totally. some sacrifice. It might take you shifting focus away from something that could be more profitable, more beneficial to your business in favor of having these tough conversations. And I think this right here, you know, again, Adobe Max is a big platform. And, and I assume, you know, there's a lot of eyes and, and, and there probably is better business benefit for you to just do, you know, this is Dan, this is my work, here's what I do. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that'll probably land a lot more business, a lot more clients, a lot more, again, potential. But the sacrifice into like, Let's talk yeah. about something that actually matters. Let's actually address this topical problem that we're all facing in a and 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 take it head on. I think is that's sort of another solution is we have to kind of and if we can all do something like that, whatever our platform might be, wherever our voices are amplified, I think creatives have those spaces wherever they are. I think if we all sort start to, you know, follow that model, that could be a huge first step. Obviously that's a big undertaking in general, but I think this is a good first step. I think if someone yeah. looks at this like, okay. You know, I, I think it's commendable, and I, I'm pretty inspired by what you're doing here. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, man. I like, man. Thank you for doing this, dude. And uh, uh, and, and I hope this gave you a, a good, maybe a little more time <laughs> to get dug, dig deep on the on the topic, which was great. And, and let's hope it, you're right, start it on an individual level. If you've listened to this, do something different, you know? Change kind of how you're looking and seeing things and how you're designing things. That's That's the best way to start. Let's just sum it up and maybe I'll let you can say where people can find you and all that kind of stuff as well. Just to pull. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I am. I'm, my name is Dan Styles. It's S-T-I-L-E-S. You can find me at danstyles.com. I am also Dan Styles on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I don't really use Twitter. Uh, that much because it's, I find it to be kind of toxic, but uh, you know that's that's where you can find me online. And I do normally design things. This is not my this is not my gig. Uh, <laughs> that's actually a good ta- point. Like talking about uh, you know disinformation <laughs> is is a side hobby. Let's call it. Uh, you know, normally I design yeah. a lot of stuff for uh, for bands and um, and also a lot of big brands come to me. Uh, you know, I just finished something for the U.S. Open. People like that. Killer dude. Yeah, we should, we got to put that in there about like take a look at your work. Get we were totally inspired by getting through there and looking at a lot of that stuff. It's really, really amazing. So make sure you check that out as well. And uh, thanks. Thanks so much, dude, for doing this. This was an eye opening experience. For, yeah, for very much. I, well, thanks, I d- it's nice to not, I mean, it's nice to discuss with creatives some of those side hobby topics like this, rather than just the, the technicalities of design, mm-hmm. the creative minds of design. It's a nice shift. It's the, res- and it's the responsibility. We welcome it wholly. Yeah. It's wonderful. So yeah, um, oh, you know, it'll be interesting to see where your career heads. I mean, maybe maybe there will be a shift over time for you where you'll be spending a good fifty percent of your career making speaks. You know, yeah. sharing sharing this very valuable information. Mm-hmm. That's that's really something. If you want to say something to young designers, is is please go make the stuff you're interested in. Please. Mm-hmm. 
pretty please. I can't tell you how many times, and in my career is a perfect example of it, um, where the thing that you're making at, at one o'clock in the morning because you're interested in it becomes your career. You know, mm. designing rock posters is not a career, right? I made it a career. Uh, yeah. You know, a lot of the people I know who do ultra cool stuff started out, yeah, during the day, they were just formatting advertising for whoever. But at night, uh, you know, on the weekends, they were just passionate about something and they made it and they made it again and again and again. And eventually it got good enough that people saw it, took notice, and it became a viable career option. Yeah. And so, there's so many people that can speak to this stately type, for example. Yeah. He, he made that work. There are a number of people that can make this work. I mean, what's that? What's that podcast that's so successful with um, Guy? How I built this. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, is mm-hmm. is that that is that is the underlying um, t- top topic? Episode after episode, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. inspiring beyond belief. Who knows what this will bring, man? You know. <laughs> no doubt no doubt i think we solved the problem guys we fixed the world <laughs> all right thanks really everyone great. it's been fun thank you man 